And so what I realized through some coaching was that, hey man, you want to bring people in your funnel and you can get the bad people out of your funnel. So you got to be relentlessly authentic to bring the right people closer to you and the bad ones away from you. When I learned that, I was like, man, those are the most free two words I can ever, now I can go be me. And, and it was almost like getting permission to be me. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Aging Entrepreneur, and we have a special guest today. Uh, he actually, so I was actually introduced through him through a mutual friend, and his name is Andy Smith, and he's part of multiple companies. He's been down the entrepreneurial play, uh, uh, wave quite a bit, a few times now, and we're just honored to have him on this on this podcast today because he's going to show us all the great things there is when it comes to running a business. Isn't that right, Andy? Hey, hey, boys. Well, thanks for having me. It's a uh, true pleasure. Andy, we're glad to have you, man. And I got to ask the main kickoff question that I love to ask as a entrepreneur, what is the biggest fear that you had to overcome when you started your first business? Oh, excellent question. So as an entrepreneur, fear is on your mind daily unless you force it out, right? Because mm. you have the fear of, am I making the right decision? The fear of, am I going to run out of money? The fear of, what am I doing? If I had to say my biggest fear, it is fear of failure. And I'm very, um, as a person, as a personality type, very achievement driven. And so that fear of failure was, was the fear, but that's also for me, the driver, right? So that gave me the mental capacity to say, Hey, I'm scared like crazy. We're going to not succeed at this. And I'm going to look bad. I might lose a little money, but I gotta go make it happen. And when you have that, that fire in your belly, right, that drive, mm -hmm. then it, it allows me at least to go say, hey, I don't care what we got to do, but we're going to get real creative and we're going to get real hungry for it. And when you put those together, man, that's when you find sparks. How has, I love that so much, Andy, you got to tell me though, how has that fear of failure and that and the taking action, how has that worked out like in practical action steps? What, what have you done? Hey, I, I feel this fear, um, but I know I have to do these things. What, have, have you done something to overcome that fear? Dude, I, I tell you, so um, March of 2020 was a crazy time for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, we got this thing. We don't know what it is, right? And at the time, we were in our second venture, and we had a manufacturing facility, and we had to we had to furlough a group of workers. Mm -hmm. like, oh, holy crap, man. We've Our industry, we were in oil and gas. Our industry's plummeted. People are decimated left and right. Um, all the companies are changing now and they don't need our stuff, right? That was March of 2020. And so the very next day, you got to look in the mirror and you got to say, crap, what are we going to do? We got people relying on us for jobs. We got people whose family rely on us and we can't employ them any longer. And so we went to social media and it's funny, right? Because that was a point where we said, we don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like, but let's go out and talk. Let's go out and be vocal so that, you know, because the two things we do know that you have gratitude and your humility is there. That's the foundation that we needed. So we went out to social media and started um, putting out messaging about that. And it, we didn't even have a product to sell. Right. We were just like, hey, we're going to win this thing. So it gave us a mindset and a framework to operate in of, of humility and, and gratitude that took us through that fear factor. That's, that's sort of the feel-good thing, right? If you had to right. take an example of like, um, we've been multiple times where we have a business and 
we don't know if we're going to make payroll in two weeks, right? And so when you're dealing with those kinds of things, the one, one unwritten rule of entrepreneurship is don't miss payroll. <laughs> payroll. Yes. Or as my grandfather out. put it, you've never lived until you made payroll. <laughs> Dude, signing the front of the check. I got an employee, uh, a colleague who says that signing the front of the check is a whole lot different signing the back. Oh, <laughs> no doubt. Hey, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Man. And so, you know, when you got, when you got that coming up, you get real hungry to start calling in accounts receivable, right? You get real hungry to start looking for an investor at that point. You, there's some things you do, right. That is this little outside the norm, but, it, but I don't know, man, sometimes it takes getting to that level, right. Where you're like, we got We're at the bottom now. We got to go do something. And that's, I've been there quite a few times. I've been on the other side quite a few times. So it's fun to be, has seen both perspectives. So this is actually a good little segue. So tell us about you, Andy. Tell us about where you've been, where you're at now, company-wise and things like that. So our audience has an idea because like jumping in, like you, you've obviously seen a lot already, but kind of give us the background of you a little bit. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, realized that, you know, a lot of the people who lived in that small town, they were there. They were going to stay there and it was their roots and community. And I had moved into that small town in, in seventh grade. So I was used to kind of, hey, we went from one thing, let's go do something a little different, even if it's just moving schools, right? So um, went to Auburn University, graduated with an engineering degree. And I only went engineering because I didn't know what else I wanted to do, but knew with that I could go back and do anything. Um, did the real engineer thing, right? Went and worked at a nuclear power plant for a couple of years. Realized I'm not an engineer. I love the presentation and sales side of things. So got a job in Atlanta, Belgium company. I was a sales engineer, met an interesting individual from Europe. So my boss at the time came because he was an acquired company of that Belgium company. And so my job was to take that product to market in the U.S. for the first time. So I learned a lot of how do you segment a market? How do you take a new product to market? Had a chance to live in Canada for a few years and a very entrepreneurial experience inside of a big company. So that was that was a good learning path. But I was always unhappy. Like I'd go home, I'd be like, man, I got this great job. Like we're making decent money. Mm -hmm. I'm always unhappy. I'm always complaining about things in the company. And it just hit me one day that um, do something about it. You know, don't just be that complainer where you're going through life, having this job that you just think sucks. Like do something about it. So my boss at the time and I, he was entrepreneur extraordinaire. We decided that in 2007, we were going to found our own company. So we co-founded a company. Um, and our sole purpose with that company was just to pay ourselves a salary. We hoped, Hey, if we can get a few jobs and just pay ourselves a salary, man, this is going to be good. Like we're our own boss, right? Like this would be great. So there we go. We went, I went and got a home equity line of credit on my house and two kids. One was a baby. We're like, mm. all right, here we go. And so I feel that man, that's where we were. Keep going. <laughs> no, yeah. Right. And so got on the going to win our first job. Our first job was uh, in Mexico with a Chilean engineering company, and I'm going to get on the plane. And we were a very small um, startup, but I, I believe really big in brand. So we tried to go out of the gate with a lot of brand from the beginning, and you know, logo, website. We were even on Facebook even earlier, right? But our competitor was founded in the 1880s. They've been around forever. Huge company. And I'm going to get on the plane to go to Mexico to meet with this potential customer. And I see the director of the company on there to go compete against me at the job. Oh, man. Like, oh, dude, 
you know, my home equity line. I'm going to pay the thing back, you know? Right. <laughs> I'm done. And, and so it was a week's job. I actually took a friend's dad who was from Peru who could help me kind of with the language, right? Spent a week down there negotiating that job. And, and fortunately, at the end of that week, they announced us was the winner. Me and the other guy were sitting in the hotel lobby. My phone rang, his phone didn't. And that was how they told us, like, you won. So that kind of that kind of launched our first company where we were providing product. And our product was an enclosed burner for the oil and gas space. So it was an environmental play. Um, and we just sucked and made mistakes all over the place and just learned as we went and thought we knew everything, realized we really don't know nothing. I, I always, as an, the wrong thing to do as an entrepreneur is realize on yourself only, right? And so I was really bad at that for several, 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 many, many years and just would only operate within my own mind space. We call that trying to be the secret. Yeah. And I really struggled with that. Right. And so that was, so venture number one started in 07. We get to 2012. I get a letter in the mail. Somebody wants to buy the company. I thought, well, I didn't know you could sell companies. Like that's interesting. So, but I threw it aside. <laughs> threw it in the corner. I remember I set it right under the printer. And then I got an email from another person who wanted to buy the company. I was like, wow, let me pull that letter back. And so we did our own process because I had no idea there was people who could help you with that. And we ultimately took us a year, but we ended up selling that company uh, to a private equity firm. We stayed on for a few years and operated it. Got to see what it was like when a group of Harvard MBA years come into your company and, and how that experience goes. I'm sure they destroyed it. Well, and so it's funny, right? Because I, again, another naive moment of mine, I was like, these guys are smart, dude. They went to Harvard, man. They must be like awesome. And what I realized was that entrepreneurs, they have a superpower too, right? Their superpower is the nimble, quick, creative, all that, get her done mentality. And Harvard people have a superpower, but the two together don't always sort of match. And so it was, I got to see that up close, board meetings, you know, all that was really fancy. And then we ended up, or they ended up exiting that company in 2016. And so then I was, found myself thinking at the age of probably late thirties, man, I want to retire. Like, this is good. I'm retiring. I'm done, you know? And throwing the football in the side yard with the kid and it's like, Nobody in my neighborhood thinks I'm working. They think I'm unemployed, you know? And I'm like, man, I gotta, that's not what life has to offer. So I jumped right into another business uh, with, some, with some friends and family and we grew a business. We were really good at growing revenue and really good at cutting costs as oil and gas industry went up and down. Mm-hmm. So we navigated through that. We ultimately exited that this past year. And that's where I pumped the brakes and I was like, Okay, we got to figure out what we're going to do for the next 40 years, right? How are we going to do this better, smarter, more intelligent, and take the things we've learned, maybe try to try to learn some more stuff. And so that's when the blacksmith venture idea came. It's kind of it was a very much a eureka moment for me because um, I had been an entrepreneur singularly one time, bought or started and sold, and a single entrepreneur started sold, and I realized what I love to do and what's inside of me is really helping entrepreneurs go from like zero to some momentum phase. And we're really good at that and really passionate about that. We have a small team. And so now our goal is to really try to do that at scale through the blacksmith venture platform where we take and help entrepreneurs take their business and idea and grow it. Cause what I found is when an entrepreneur starts, it's really exciting. When they start growing, it gets really, really hard. And when they get to about a million dollars of sale or some number of revenue, 
it starts to get above their capacity as a as a person, right? As a single owner. Right. And so they, they can't get above that ceiling, right? And so we've been there and, and seen that and love helping them realize that, hey, you can really grow this thing. You can take this thing, but you've got to put some critical pieces in. Think about some things that you're not thinking about. And, and whether that person, that entrepreneur has that ability to get out of that, that mindset of, you know, hey, I'm fearful, right? Of can I grow or not? What's that look like? Because I always felt in our first venture that we were growing so fast that the train was always very shaky. And it was like, we got to sell to take our risk away because this may quit at any moment. Yeah. You know? Oh, we call that a bad shuttle reentry. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. What it feels like. Yeah. And so I, I, all these lessons you guys have, I figured out through like a whole bunch of hard crap. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. So this is my third company. I feel you on that. Well, there you go, brother. I yeah. love it. I love it. And so, we're, the things we're doing different this time, I've, as an entrepreneur owner, I went and hired a compensated board of directors. And I don't, I don't know if a lot of people do that or not, but it's the most baller thing I've ever done. Like these guys are amazing. They bring connections. <laughs> they bring uh, mindsets that I, I just, we were negotiating a deal and I, I was 180 degrees out of phase on this thing, man. And those guys were like, well, think about this. And so a group of people who are right supporting you and helping you grow, that's been an amazing change. And, and uh, for the first time ever, too, I brought on some investors, which is a whole new dynamic and a whole new um, thing. So I've kind of learning that as we go as well. But it's been a it's been a great ride so far. Well, Andy, if you've had a chance to listen to some of our past episodes, which I, I think you have, mm-hmm. one of the things that we've geared the whole podcast to is that is that middle aged person. Uh, by middle age to me, I'm, I'm talking somewhere between the age of maybe 32 and 50, right? Right in that age range of people who may be in a job, um, who, who are looking to step out and to start their own thing. One of the things that appealed me so much about having you on the podcast, and I was so excited when Michael uh, brought you up, is that you appear to have this ability to build to sell. And not every entrepreneur wants to build something that they want to keep and it be a legacy organization. How do you change your mindset from, from being an entrepreneur who has this idea to turn it into a business to thinking about it as this is an asset that has the potential to sell for X amount of dollars. That's a different mindset. Talk to me about that a little bit. It's like your house, right? Like you buy a house, you don't buy necessarily buy it and hold on to it forever. You might want to grow it, add some additions to it and, and make it something that you sell, right? And so I think that's the opportunity that entrepreneurs struggle with a lot, exactly what you just said, because you've got two things. You've got, I, I joked about the Harvard EBA guys, right? But you got the guys who buy and sell companies all day long and they're flipping stock papers, right? They're flipping pieces of paper, arbitraging stuff and, and doing fancy financial engineering. They haven't hired the first person. They haven't looked, you know, Mary Lou in the face and said, hey, you go home today because you're just not feeling it. You know, they haven't dealt with all that. So that's why I love on the other side, the entrepreneur side, they create something, right? And so you can, you have an opportunity as an entrepreneur, and that could be, if you just got an idea, you have the opportunity to create something, put your flavor, your love into it, take it to a certain level. And then, like you said, build something to exit, because that's something that's, I meet so many entrepreneurs in the fabrication space, because that's where we like to play in that, that little realm. You go into their shops and they're, they're in that 50 year old range, right? Where they've, they've started something, they've had a great life 
And now they're like, well, I guess I'm just going to turn the lights off one day and leave. Like, bro, you've built something wonderful here. You know, this is an asset. You don't take your car and abandon it on the side of the road. No. And that's what so many people do because they, they've got that mindset of, well, this is what I do. And, and I can't, I can't release it because it was a very, very hard thing for me um, on our first venture because it was my baby. Right. Like I, I created this thing and co-founded this thing, but all the passion, all the love you put into it. And now you have this baby and you just want to hold on to it every time. Cause I, I, I felt like somebody was buying the baby and I just have a different relationship now with businesses. For me, it's about the people, right? Because you're you're impacting people inside that organization. And and you you're building this thing to grow into, yeah, to sell it because we're not just gonna turn off the lights one day, right? Right. It's I, I think you're right on, man. And I think that's a it's just a mindset thing. And I I, I do think it has to do a lot with the baby because people, I mean, even my co-founder, right? Like he was in his Wow, he was probably 50 when we started that. I was late 20s. And even at that age, that was a baby for him, right? That was his business. And so it's just having a different relationship with the business, I think. And, and I love the people side. So that's where I put my my passion now and not on the business per se. Right. Take great care of the people who take care of the business and then sell the business. You know, it's interesting. I, I can tell this, Michael, I don't know if you're able to point this out, but I can tell somebody who's made that mental switch. We we meet with lots and lots of business owners yeah, on do. a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I can tell the business owners like a nimble POS where this is another business versus somebody who is dug in like this is part of my identity. Right. And I'll be honest with you, from my perspective, like Nick, the marketer, that's part of my identity. This is part of my I think of it in a more legacy format. Um, selling my business doesn't come up in my brain. It doesn't. Now I've got different purpose behind my business um, and, and our mission, vision, and values line up that way. Um, but some people are wanting to start a business that they can sell. I see it all the time. Oh yeah. And I, I feel like it's, typi- and there's nothing wrong with that. And I feel like it's typically their second and third business that they're working on. Like the first one, I think, like you mentioned, Andy, it's like, it's their baby. They don't know what to do with it. They're, it's a love story. And they're afraid to let go. But once that happens, then you're like, okay, wait, there's more to hear than just this love story, this baby I had. There's actually other things I can do with this. But, but I just love that you actually had that mental switch. Because um, I think we talk to a lot of people that are afraid of that. And then also just hearing, like, this is something we've never brought on the podcast before, but what it looks like to hire a board of directors and bring on investors to boost your company in the right direction. Like we, we haven't had a chance to really talk much about that because we don't really have the experience on that. I'd love to hear more from you. What drove that decision and what were like the, the had no idea this was a part of it. This is fantastic. Or the, Hey, I probably should have done that a little differently, but I've learned my lesson. Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty clear inflection point for me. It was um, to go back for me, it was December of 2019. I'm in the second business and I'm doing everything wrong. The reason I'm doing everything wrong is I'm doing it just like I did the first business. And the first business was, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10, internet's cranking up. You got Facebook, you got all this stuff. And we were on all that. And we took all that same sort of mindset in our second business. And I was out jogging with a guy one day. And he was like, hey, I got this book I want you to read. So I, I get this book and um, it didn't see it coming by Carrie Newhoff was the author. I'm reading it over Thanksgiving break. I'm like, holy crap, I got a pride problem. Like, I've got a big issue here. I'm a mess. 
And I'm like, what's the answer? What's the answer? So I kept reading this book to get to the very end and realized that humility is the answer, right? And so I'm like, all right, I got, I got to get out of myself here. So December of 2019, one month later, I went and attended this um, ultra high net worth conference. 800 people go to Boca Raton, big Ritz Carlton. And I'm like, dude, this is going to be the most awkward thing in my world because I'm not, you, I don't, this is in the circle I run it, but I needed to get out of my own element, right? Out of my way and try to meet some new people. And so I go to this thing and I'm, what I, I thought it was going to be really hard to meet people. And it was extremely easy to meet people. Everybody wants to come up and understand what you're doing. Even if they don't know you, it was, it was fantastic three, four days, but I took a ton of notes and, and learned a lot. So then I realized here comes January of 2020. So a couple months later, and I hired my first ever uh, CEO coach. And so I did that because when I sold the first company, I needed somewhere to take the energy. And I got really big into running these triathlons. So I, I spent seven years like as a side hustle running triathlons and had a coach and all this. I mean, I spent way too much time. But it, having the coach made such a difference for me. And so I was like, that was a game changer in the world of triathlon. It's always been a game changer in the world of athletics for me going way back, but business, man, you don't hire no coach. Like what do you want to do that for? Right. So I did and thought, wow, this is pretty expensive. And uh Oh, what it did though, is it put somebody to make me accountable who could really see like, here's really your superpower, Andy. Here's really some things you're struggling with. Let's figure all this out. So over the course of about, I guess I would say about nine, maybe Maybe almost a year um, of working with him. He's like, okay, Andy, it's time to accelerate. Like, man, I thought we were accelerating, you know, and we're kind of going along and we right. figured out blacksmith. Like blacksmith for me is my legacy. I want that to be the legacy. And I've mentally tricked my brain that I can buy sell companies under blacksmith and blacksmith is the identity. Right. Um, but he goes, it's time to accelerate. I was like, well, what's accelerate mean? He's like, you need a board of directors. I'm like, dude, I don't want nobody telling me what to do, man. That, that last board I was part of, I don't, that, I don't need it, right? <laughs> and so he's like, no, no, no. There's two types of boards. And explain the board of advisors who just sort of promote you. I'm like, oh, I got that, man. I got a bunch of bros around me who are like, we support all of our stuff. But the problem with my bro community, we're all the same guy. Like we all, you know, we all sort of you're, you're at a peer level. Yeah. Like they come to me for advice. I go to them for advice. We're sort of like just sharing the same advice. I, so he goes, no, no, I have a better idea. I've, I've talked to some people we know, let's interview. So we interviewed very strategically four people to put on the board and to complement my things I love and to complement the weaknesses. So we've got like a rock star financial person and a deal person and a strategic kind of person and a SaaS person. And it's just, it's uh, it's a, the acceleration can't be more faster in the upward direction. It's just been amazing how much uh, knowledge that I've got, how much deal structure knowledge I've got, how much difference for me too. They think very long term and very protect the house, think long term. Mm. And oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we're so in it, you, you're just thinking about that next move, and you have no idea what that the moves after are going to look like. So you're just going move to move. They've helped me realize, hey, it's a chess game of down the road here. We want to reverse engineer to get to here. And that's been a new kind of mind-blowing thing for me. Yeah, my, my mind's about to blow right now. 
Because mm. I'm just thinking of how that could impact my own company. I know this is about you and I still want to talk about Andy Smith, but man, that's, that's powerful because if I can take a nugget away myself, imagine how much more our listeners are, are getting off to the right track, right? Like mm-hmm. who are you surrounding yourself with that could be potential board members down the road? Are you putting the right kind of information? Um, I love the didn't see it coming. Guess what? Guess what's coming off of my one credit that I have going on right now with my audible is going to be didn't see it coming. I will have that by the end of the day. And I love the fact that you're talking about humility and gratitude and the, the, the shift in your mind and the impact that that's made on your business. I'm so fired up that you have this holding company that you look at as your baby so that you have the freedom to sell these other companies without remorse. I love that. Uh, you also made the comment that kind of made it feel like a divorce almost, where you said, hey, I had this one business, and I took all of the wrong things into this next business, and we were making the same mistakes. And here I am on number three, and I and I feel like we've made those changes mm-hmm. with the people and the personnel and, and, and the reading and 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 trying to do away with the things that haven't worked in the past, but it just reminds me of like a divorce. I had this marriage. I took all of these other things into this new marriage and it's falling apart. At some point you have to interject some type of change uh, that isn't you, some outside force to help you be successful. Even if your goal is to sell it. Nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, dude. That's hundred percent right. Because that's the baggage you care because it's comfortable and you know, right? Like I, mean, I think back business number two, we get right back in. The first things we were thinking about was, how do we get all the people from number one in? Wrong. How do we do exactly that stuff? Wrong, right? And it's just like, exactly. Well, great analogy of taking all the baggage. You've got to really shake it off and give yourself some time and grace to do that. And that, well put. Lesson learned, that right there. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you a question, man. How much gap was there in between your company that you sold or your first, I don't even know. Have you ever had a failed business? I didn't even ask that. We've, um, we have invested a ton of money, yes, and it's never failed, but it's never, but we've lost a ton of money, 100%. Okay, that's fair. We'll, co- we'll call it that, but has there been a gap where you've said, hey, um, you were talking about being the, the guy that everybody thought was unemployed out in the front yard throwing the ball. What was that time frame like? Because I, I would be willing to bet there's people out there that are interested. I owned a business. I failed at that business. I'm back into a job, but I can't scratch this itch, man. I've got to go do something else. You, you either have it or you don't. You either want it or you don't. Yeah. What was that like for you in between, you know, in between businesses, if you will? What I should have done different if I was looking back, it was very short time. So it was probably, um, oh man, like six weeks, eight weeks, right? And it was because, you know, you know people, they start calling, hey, what are you doing? We know you're out. You want to do this and do that. And if I was to give myself some, some advice going back, it would have been hit the pause button, take a break, you know, let, let that, when you're hustling a business from 2007 and you bootstrap it, never took any funding. And, you know, we grew it to about a, about a $22 million revenue over time. When you're doing that, that's a lot of work. And that was a long period of time. So it was, you know, a good span of almost, yeah, 12 years, right? No, nine years. And so, I needed a break. I needed a refresher. I needed like to relax. And I didn't take that. And I think that would have been a game changer just to get your head on because then you can allow yourself to make that transitional switch. Um, now, if you've got that itch and then of course, you know, 
I, like you say, always have that continual itch. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have, you can start stuff on the side. You can, nowadays, man, there's ways to take a business and get it incubated and started off with a whole bunch of outside tools where you don't need, you, you can do it without hiring a bunch of team day one, mm -hmm. at least full-time team. We live, Andy, we live in the best environment the the best most fertile soil to grow a business in the history of the world in my opinion without any startup capital i can open up a facebook ads account or a facebook account period an instagram account or a youtube channel mm -hmm. and for free put my knowledge my ability my services my wares out into the world and put it in front of thousands of people without having to pay for that. Like there is no more, if you're listening to this right now and you're wondering when's a good time to start a business, like there is no better time that I can think of in history of the world to start a business than there is right now. Yeah, amazing, right? And so my partner, my business partner, um, and we're still very close, he lives in Europe. And so he, he even goes as far as to say, I mean, in the United States of America, this is only the place possible where you could do something where somebody starts from scratch, and can grow something as big and as far and as much as their imagination will allow them to take it. They can make their company just have a salary or they can make their company $100 million. It's all possible right here and right now. And you're totally right, brother. I, I had a, uh, I was at a conference two weeks ago, went to the gym that morning. I met somebody I knew and I was like, hey man, what are you doing these days? Like I knew you had the nice big job and all that. And he quit his job and he's hustling it, uh, flipping Amazon uh, merchandise. He has a virtual team of people who go out, stay-at-home moms he'll hire. They'll go out and do his thing. Guy's making six figures. I'm like, holy crap, man. Like, <laughs> if you're willing to risk it and hustle it, that that right there is loan. And I, now I've seen it too where you've got a ton of entrepreneurs who are, um, they're ready. They get that itch. They got to put that first dollar in, right? That first mm -hmm. amount of money. Once they can make that mindset shift of I'm ready and I'm in, you can go any direction you do. Well, we talk about it often uh, in past episodes where we tell people, hey, um, you don't have to go all balls to the wall and, and give up your career and everything. There's a, a, a great book called Quitter by John Acuff. And uh, I, this is just for anybody listening based on what you're talking about. And he's just talking about, man, he had to go in and put in the reps during those early morning hours and during those late night hours when he wasn't working his eight to five job. Because, you know, one, integrity, be at the company you're at. But during those other hours are proving grounds. Man, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you that's where you get to decide if you're an actual entrepreneur and business owner or if you're just poking the bear and you don't really know what you're doing. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because that grind is going to continue when you do make that step and, and that paycheck goes away, right, eventually. But in those early days, what a better time to do it in those off hours where you can grind. Absolutely. That's it. I mean, that's where that, th those are the proving grounds, right? That's just where you're going to figure it out. You know, it's funny. Uh, and I know you felt this now uh, where you've gone from that paycheck to, I don't want to say self-sufficient because you're always relying on customers, team members, or somebody, right. Uh, to make that income. But uh, I, I used to work in radio and uh, one of our radio hosts uh, sold his house in the suburbs, went and bought a farm and after about a year, was 100% living off the land. His own vegetables, his own chickens, his own cows, his own pigs. And he said, for a season in his life, he never went to the grocery store. 
ever for like, when I say a season, I'm talking about years at a time. And he goes, if you've ever lived off the land and haven't relied on somebody else, it's really difficult to go back. And, And I'm thinking the second that you sign the front of your own paycheck for the first time, it's really hard to go back. That's a great point. I don't know that I could ever go back because once you do that, you found that inner gear, right? That inner, um, I used to, in the triathlon, it's funny, maybe parallel, maybe not, but in the triathlon world, the whole thing was, I heard you guys say it, when you take steroids, right? You, the reason he thought if you've ever taken steroids, why you have a competitive advantage, because now your mind knows where your body can go, whether it's been primed or not, right? And I think it's a little bit the same with entrepreneurship, right? When you, when you've tasted that and you've flourished on your own, you can't go back, man, because you know you can create your own stuff. You can make it. You're not relying on someone else. And it's a great point because that's, I don't know if I ever thought about that, but that's a nice, maybe that's why we got a serial entrepreneur cats who just keep going business to business and opportunity to opportunity. And- oh, that's exactly why. I mean, it's really hard when you know what you're worth because you've gotten out and gotten it. At that point, when you've done it, nobody can tell you what you're worth. That's right. And that's what employers do. As much as I love my team, and I do, Michael can bear this out, they're worth what I pay them as far as the numbers go. Their personal value, way more than that. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm getting at. I don't want to confuse the two. But the job itself has a value, right? That HVAC unit over there has a value. And I'm only going to pay a certain amount for the HVAC unit for what it can do for me and my house, right? So the same thing happens. But once an entrepreneur steps out and they create their own value and they create their own worth in the marketplace, it's really hard for another person to tell me what my value is because I've seen it. I know what I can do. You don't. And it is what it is, right? Salespeople could do that to a degree, right? Because you can go out and you can kill it and you can drag it home and make your commissions and everything else. So they have that ability too. That was the first itch for me was when I got into commission sales. So that's right. Cause you want to, you want to set your own value, right? You know what it is. You want to go set it and you want to go make it. That's absolutely right. So I'm curious talking about the blacksmith venture side. So you're in front of a lot of entrepreneurs in general, what tends to be the one, uh, why they come to you, but then also uh, what is that always that stumbling block they come across that you guys have to help them understand and correct and move past. And it just seems to be a common theme, like, Hey, let me explain this to you because a lot of people don't get this. What tends to be the common theme when that happens? The world is changing extremely fast. Right. And so web 3.0 is coming. Social media is its own little monster. Um, You got fiber where you can go, pay stuff for, you know, you get your stuff done in like 24 hours and pay 10 bucks for it. So the world's changing really fast. So we see entrepreneurs come in and it's usually, it's the, the one thing we see is a mindset problem. The one problem that if you peel the onion back a little deeper, it's, hey, we've gotten this business to a certain level. We're working 24 seven. We're stressed beyond belief. And I have no idea what to do. And I feel like at any moment I'm going to lose it. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, bro, we've been there. And what they, what you'll ask a few leading questions and what they'll realize pretty quickly is that, well, I, I'm a little bit nervous about doing that. Have you, Hey, have you, have you hired someone to take that thing that you don't like to do and invest it in that person and grow? Well, I really don't want to do that or, or they're a control freak, you know, if they're a control freak, they're doing everything. And so then they're maxed out beyond belief. And it's, so that's what we see. Usually last three, four examples have, that have, we've talked to, they get to that like million dollar kind of number, right? Or revenue. Um, 
for some reason, that's just totally could be happenstance, but that's been a level where the last four or five companies we've talked to have gotten to. And they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm either so, Andy, win. I don't mean to totally interject here because I want you to continue that thought, but what I've heard it said over and over again is what took you to a million dollars is a completely different skill set than from a million to 10. Completely different skill set. Yep. And, and so that's, I, I have that same problem. So what I do in our ventures is we, we get it to, through our love and our energy and our expertise, we get a company off the ground or through that point. And then we throw somebody who can go and take that company from inception to momentum phase. So it's a whole different skill set. You're hundred percent right. Somebody who can balance out, somebody who can let, let loose of some things, people who know how to hold people accountable. And so a whole different skill set. That's my problem. <laughs> it's, it's hard, right? It's a scale yeah. problem. How do you scale? Right. And yeah. so how that scale is you, it's a whole different mindset. And so bringing on that board, like full circle to those guys, they helped me kind of realize that because they're like, Hey Andy, who does your financial modeling? I'm like, Oh dude, I am good at Excel. I do all that. I project everything. You think that's a good use of your time? I don't know. I've just always done it, you know? And so it's every little task you start to see, where am I really winning and adding value? How do I focus more of my time on that? And then staff up everything else. And nowadays staffing up, it, you can do it in a hundred million creative ways. And um, so, yeah, then you're right. That's it. That's the one thing for entrepreneurs that we're seeing. It's, it's that. Um, a, a couple of times we'll see guys who are like, Hey, I got an idea and I just don't know how to do it. Right. Or I've right. created this cool thing and I don't know what to do. Um, so like what we try to do is put out a lot of messaging around, you know, our story and what we do to, to try to help find those kind of companies because you, it is a ton of fun helping these guys and gals who have creative ideas and, and helping them grow. Cause we've been there and it's a lot of fun and you realize, you know, you kind of talked about being self-sufficient, but once you kind of realize you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs make it about the money, right? But once you kind of get your household set and you're sort of comfortable in your own cost of living, the rest is just growing business and having fun and changing lives, right? If, you, if it's about the money, it kind of just goes away at the end. Oh, yeah. Man, he's speaking my language right now. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I was on a podcast not too long ago, Andy, and I was talking about, uh, he goes, what, uh, his name is Josh. He goes, what, give me your final thought. Like, what is the, what is the takeaway? And I said, define what is enough? Because what happens, I, and you've experienced this, so I know you'll get this, but once you've defined what's enough, when you hit it, you can step out of success and you can walk into significance because then you're making real impact yes. on your community, on your team, uh, your church, philanthropy, whatever, because you've taken care of yourself. And um, Michael, you've heard me talk about this before. Mm -hmm. You know, if the only thing you think about is money, that's all you're going to go after. It's, it's like oxygen. If you squeeze my neck, the only thing I'm thinking about is oxygen. But when I have enough oxygen, I don't even think about it. That's right. Right. That's right. And it's not about being rich. It's just about, I don't even want to think about it. So I can go do other things that are more productive. Take that away and move on. Absolutely. That's totally right. I found that. Um, so getting outside of my circle and getting around some bigger folks who run bigger companies. Um, the one thing they all do, they want to give back. They want to give, give, give. And it's, and they, they, they really just want to see people succeed. And so that's been a lot of fun. And so trying to kind of maybe emulate that a little bit is where my heart's at and kind of my, where I'm at stage-wise. I love it, man. That's fantastic. Well, we're coming up toward the end of the, the episode, but tell it like, give us some information. How do people find you? How do they find Black's Adventures? What, how do people connect with you? Tell us a little bit about that real quick. I love LinkedIn. So Andy Smith Life is all one word, Andy Smith Life. 
L-I-F-E. That's my social platform across the way. Um, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I, I love that platform. People are very kind there, very supportive. Uh, the negative Nancy's get kicked out pretty quick. And then our businesses take us into Facebook. So we, we live there. People are very mean and cruel on Facebook. Yes, and, they are. Yeah, they are. We call that the bathroom wall of the internet. Wow, it's a tough one. Yeah, bathroom. <laughs> um, and then we're trying to figure out all the social platforms, but we do have them aligned under um, under Andy Smith Life. And then YouTube is Blacksmith Adventures, where we're trying to help tell our story. And we're pretty pretty early, pretty raw, and pretty figuring it out mode on all of those. So it's uh, it's been a real thing. But I will, I will leave you with one advice for entrepreneurs that I've recently found in the last six weeks, which has been total game changer for me, related to social media and contacting. Relentlessly authentic. When I learned those two words to be relentlessly authentic, it, it did a double cartwheel of like acceleration for me. And because what I, I was always the kind of guy who was like, from a social media perspective, very vanilla, right? I like you and I like you and I want you to like me and I want you to like me too. And very vanilla. And so what I realized through some coaching was that, hey, man, you want to bring people in your funnel and you want to get the bad people out of your funnel. So you got to be relentlessly authentic to bring the right people closer to you and the bad ones away from you. When I learned that, I was like, man, those are the most freeing two words I can ever. Now I can go be me. And, and it was almost like getting permission to be me. And yeah, so again, another little tangent, but game, game changer for me. That's awesome. I love keeping the right people close to you and let you be who you are. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I wish more people would do that. Cause I feel like I've been around people that pretend to be something because they're trying to fit the circles that they're in. And that's really not who they are. And they're afraid to showcase who they really are. And it creates like, it, you kind of close up a little bit, you lose right. opportunity. So that's yeah. 100%. pretty good. Awesome. Well, very good. Andy, man, we have had a blast talking with you. We're going to put uh, all your connections out there on the show notes. So we'll make sure that people can connect with you directly. Um, I would love to hear any last final thought. I know you gave an entrepreneur thought, but any last thoughts you have, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Yeah. I would just say have fun in whatever you're doing. We, we make that a motto amongst our company that um, I tell a story a lot, but we took somebody who was in our accounting department, which is a group of two people. She was accounting, but if you look in her office, she's got flowers, pictures, art that she had done all over the place mm-hmm. and never looked happy, but she was doing a job, right? I'm like, what do you like to do outside of this? And you could see it automatically, like with the picture taking and all that. So we, we pivoted her after doing an Enneagram test, we pivoted her and realized she's a creative art, absolute not a accounting type role. And she has flourished and blossomed like a rose. And so... We always just say within our company, if you're not having fun, let's talk about it and find out what you can have fun in so that you can go excel because life is way too short to to be stuck doing something you don't love. Uh, that is so good. Choose joy. Go after it. Uh, there you, well, so, yeah, in a very simple form, perfect. <laughs> love it. Andy, Michael. What, a, what an episode. This is going to be go, going down as one of my favorites. Yeah, sure. I really enjoyed it. I just love the perspectives, yeah. and the advice and everything. Really fantastic. Thank you, Andy, for taking time to talk to us. Coming right off of vacation, too. That's right. So we got you as, as crispy as possible, which is kind of funny. But uh, dude, dude, this is this is stress-free, Andy, right? <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is back at it. Coming into a weekend. Thank you, guys. Awesome, man. You. Yes, sir. We will talk to you soon. Catch up with us, all right? Yes, sir. See you guys. Thanks, man. Talk to you. Thank you.
If this podcast inspired you to take action as an entrepreneur, we want to hear about it. Send us an email, agingentrepreneur at gmail.com. And if you like this episode, please consider leaving us a review or five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. Until then, find your dream and keep chasing it. Oh, 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 oh